This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of The Overcomers, God's Vision for You to Thrive in an Age of Anxiety and Outrage, written and narrated by pastor and best-selling author Matt Chandler, and is available everywhere audiobooks are sold. Dynamic Voices for a Diverse Church. This is Pass the Mic. Greetings and God bless. Welcome to another episode of Pass the Mic, Dynamic Voices for a Diverse Church, powered by the Reformed African American Network. I'm your host, Tyler Burns. You can follow me on Twitter at Burns23. Follow at your own risk. And joining me today is not Jamar Tisby. Joining me today is his... um, I don't know his counterpart. Is no, no, and no, and no. His alter ego, Jamar's alter ego. (laughs) What a huge compliment to me, and what an insanely (laughs) insulting thing to say to Jamar. That's. (laughs) I was trying to figure out how am I going to introduce Bo today. How am I going to introduce him? That is the voice of Bo York. He is our regular producer here at Pass the Mic. We greatly appreciate him, Bo. How are you doing today, man? I'm doing great. I actually, uh, man, I, I I just realized that this is the first podcast. Uh, that that I am actually recording here with you and actually have ever recorded in the brand new Pottery Studio 2.0, if you will. What? Yeah, man. Yo, we, you got to tell us about this. You got to tell us. About yeah. This. So we we just recently, I guess we're technically currently in the process of moving uh, into a new location. Uh, before the the setup that we had was, um, I my office was kind of converted into a half studio, half office, which was fun. Right. Uh, in the new space, we actually, I actually have a separate office, which means that we've been able to uh, take an office space and actually turn it completely into a studio. Literally above me right now, we've got. Uh, I've been using. Uh, kind of these noise canceling uh, foam and everything else. But I also have coffee mm-hmm. bags from all around the world. Uh, these kind of burlap wow. coffee bags hanging across on the walls around me. Uh, and it's, uh, it's, it's a really cool, I'm going to take some shots and I may, I may share that up on the Facebook group. I know it'll be uh, somewhat out of, out of, <laughs> out of off topic, but you know, you know, if anybody wants to see how the sausage is made, this is literally the, uh, the first time that I've ever sat down to record in the new studio uh, as literally things are kind of falling off the walls because they're not fully installed yet. But uh, <laughs> it is kind of exciting, man. Yeah. That is very exciting. And no, that is not off topic because if not for Pottery, if not for you, Pass the Mic would not exist. Well, wow. So there would be no show. So it's definitely on topic. That is very exciting. Having the privilege of uh, having been to your studio at home, it's really That's great right. to hear that you. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. You were with us in those early days, man. That's right. I'm well, right. And, and also, you know, we recorded one time when I was up there uh, visiting and you guys had just gotten back from LDR. I right. think it was last year. Yeah. And so I was able to record there with Jamar and that was a great experience. Can't wait to get up there and record live and in person, man. Mm. Yeah, man. Yeah, I, I'm I'm looking forward to the day that we can all all, all sit around in uh, in the new space and you know hopefully be praying for Jamar, be praying that God will bring him back to Jackson, Mississippi, where he belongs, <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and that means better audio quality because we'll get him in here uh, to record on a weekly, which would be great. Yeah, absolutely, guys. You should uh, follow all the great work that's being going on at Pottery Studios. Bo, can you tell us a little bit, just very briefly, about what Pottery is? People may be tuning in for the first time or the second time. They may not know what Pottery is. Can you tell them what what it is and what what you do? Yeah, man. Uh, we are so Pottery. It's a it's a production company based here in uh, Mississippi. Uh, we've been here for the last uh, almost, I guess it'll be four years uh, this coming July. 
uh, started out of my house and we've moved to a couple of locations since then. Um, we have created a best in class podcast for, uh, for categories uh, that are extremely niche. We're, we're really big on creating niche focused content. Uh, which, uh, which man, which when I, when I met with, uh, with Jamar and then Philip, uh, about, uh, past the mic, it was, it was really God's providence. We were all going to church at the same time. Uh, I was really interested in creating content, uh, that is very heavily targeted and, uh, and to be something that I was already kind of passionate about in terms of racial reconciliation and also being in the PCA mm-hmm. myself. Uh, it was, you know, it was, it was it, like, literally it was God's providence, uh, at, at work, uh, in, and us meeting, but yeah, um, we've created uh, content. We've got a podcast about the uh, the CW television show, The Flash, uh, which is amazing, by the way. <laughs> Flash got, TV talk is amazing. Oh, thanks, man. We uh, we also we actually recently just got nominated for an award for uh, a podcast that we do about pipes and pipe tobacco, of all things, uh, called Country Squire hmm. Radio. Uh, so if that's if that's your interest as well, we've we've got that. So, uh, and then we do one that's locally focused called Let's Talk Jackson, which is about our local community here. You know, I'm a firm believer in podcasting and and building community through podcasting, and also just building ways to uh, connect, communicate, and stay informed in your local community because of podcasting. So, yeah, if, if that's uh, if any of those things sound interesting to you, definitely check them out. But um, yeah, thanks, man. I always tell people, Bo is a big deal in the podcasting world. Y'all have no idea. I'm telling you, you need to follow yeah. Potisteria on Facebook, Twitter. Also get the Satchel app. But you want to talk about Satchel? All right. I'll give him a real quick pitch because everybody wants me to <laughs> shut up so we can get into what we're talking about. Real oh, quick. This is important. This is important. The man behind the mic. That is Bo York. They have to know about you, man. I appreciate it. Uh, yeah, real quick. So Satchel, um, it's a it's a startup company that we've created where we're trying to help progress podcasting as an industry by providing solutions to be able to find people who are making content in your local area. Uh, Satchel is the the world's first podcast player that offers location true location based discovery and podcasting. You can also support your podcast through donations. Um, we actually have a big announcement that's coming out in the next couple of weeks here, which I'm really excited about. I wish I could mention it right now, but I can't. Um, but yeah, so check that out, satchelplayer.com. If you're not listening to us through Satchel, you absolutely should because it's a great way to support this podcast. And I'm not going to lie, it's also really great as a thank you to me. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. That. That's the only way we listen to podcasts, Bo. The Satchel app. That's <laughs> Thanks, the only man. way. Appreciate it. So, guys, we, we just really appreciate you, your encouragement, your uplift over the past few weeks. We have received some phenomenal reviews on iTunes, and we will. We don't have time today, but we will read them on the next podcast. We're very excited about just some of the feedback that we're getting. We also invite you guys to continue to follow us by rating and reviewing us on iTunes and also subscribing as well. So you can get all the episodes as soon as they come out every single week. You can also connect with our online community in the Pass the Mic private Facebook group. Look up Pass the Mic on Facebook, request to get in. It's just almost, actually, it's funny. We're almost at 2,000 members. And it's crazy because the last time I said that we were at a thousand and so (laughs) it's just exponentially increasing. And it's all about these really great conversations from across the country and across the world, a multi-generational, multi-denominational group of of believers who are coming together to talk about racial justice, racial reconciliation. And it's always just a great group. It's always a great encouragement. Now, before we get into today's uh, podcast topic, I know you guys are are very eager to get into it. I want to just tease an article that we're going to talk about the next time that we record when Jamar is on. It, It is an article that has kind of gained some traction, and it's kind of a microcosm of a broader argument that is continuing to progress in the subculture following the election. And following the election, what we have to realize is that we've been in these eight-year big massive shifts in ideology in America. 
So we've had eight years under President uh, Clinton, eight years under President Bush, eight years under President Obama. There's been these massive shifts from left to right, back to left, back to right. And now we have President-elect Trump, who's definitely going to be a shift to the right. And one of the things that I'm starting to hear, and I anticipated that this would be the case a couple of years ago, is that the words that we're using are coming under intense scrutiny. So specifically the words racism, racial bias, white supremacy, these words are coming into intense scrutiny. Now, there is an article in Time Magazine written by uh, Professor John McWhorter. It's entitled The Difference Between Racial Bias and White Supremacy. So it's very, um, it's an article that a lot of people are sharing and a lot of Christians are sharing. And I want to get into it next week, but I, I do want to say this. In the article, the, the basic premise is that we should not use the word white supremacist. Now, it's interesting because he doesn't really define or create a, a true distinction between white supremacist and the ideology of white supremacy, which I think is the fatal flaw of the article, right? There's a difference between being an ardent, zealous follower of something, i.e. a white supremacist, and being unconsciously affected and influenced by the ideology of white supremacy, which could happen to any of us. So we're going to get into that, but I just want to, to throw this out there for believers who are listening. I encourage you to be careful about shortening the appendages of sin. Mm. Encourage you to be very careful about sapping and draining the sting out of something like white supremacy. And this is becoming very difficult to watch and read simply because the ideology of white supremacy is not just a difference in opinion. The ideology of white supremacy is a threat to the very air that your brothers and sisters of color breathe. It is a threat to our air. It is a threat to our physical life. It is a threat to our skin. And I just want to encourage you to be very, very careful with automatically following the shift in the culture, which says, now we shouldn't say racism, or now we shouldn't say race, now we shouldn't say white supremacy. And so if you want to hear more about that, we talk about some of the definitions and how it is very important that we're careful with our definitions, but we're also truthful with them. There's a, a, an episode on the uh, iTunes stream, and it's also on um, randnetwork.org entitled Closed Door Conversations, where Jamar and I talk about our definitions theologically for racism, for partiality, for bias, prejudice, and how those things impact our lives. So just want to tease that out there to you guys. It was on my heart, and I wanted to kind of go into it when Jamar is here. So I'll save that, and we'll get into a much lighter topic now. But be on the lookout for that the next time we record. All right. So we're talking kind of calm before the storm, right? We've had, <laughs> look, we've been dealing with a lot of heavy topics. I mean, and, yeah. and, and rightly so in the last uh, several episodes and, and, you know, uh, the weight of, of even what's to come and, and what's coming down in terms of news, you know, we, man, we, we talk about it all the time, but you know, we, we will plan out topics historically. And then, you know, I think we've gotten to a point now where we've stopped kind of planning out topics because yeah. the topics just arrive, arise in the news and, with current events. So, right. Now we have some things we want to talk about. And we have, true. you know, guests that we want to bring on, issues that we want to tackle. But at the end of the day, what tends to happen is that our plan is hijacked by the relevance and currency of news and how things are just drastically shifting in, in 2016. So, we, we are trying to be as relevant as possible, as timely as possible, but also timeless, which is the truth of the gospel. So, bear with us as we try to try to work through it. Hey, this will be good though. We're uh, we're gonna sit back, relax, fellowship with one another, and put on a little Hamilton. Uh oh, here we go. All 
All right, man. Alexander Hamilton. We are just really obsessed with the uh, Secretary of Treasury of the United States. <laughs> and we know I'm just kidding. And uh, his prodigious lyrical ability. I mean, <laughs> who Hamilton knew? had bars, right? Who knew? Uh, all right. So, so you know, w- what we've done in the past in terms of pop culture, artifacts, icons, I, I don't know exactly what we would call this, moments in time in pop culture in which, right. you know, it, it deals uh, within the realms that we deal and, and there's kind of an impactful uh, meaning or perhaps we, we feel the need to kind of come together and geek out, maybe even pull some gospel narrative, uh, whether intended or not, out of uh, out of these kind of moments of, of pop culture, you know, I'm, I'm a firm believer in that common grace that regardless of where somebody's coming from in terms of their art, their media, whatever it may be, uh, regardless of the, cre- you know, regardless in the small C creator's intent, the big C creator has an intent. Uh, and that's a, that's a story that permeates throughout. And I think uh, that is also true in Hamilton. But before we dive into that, I got to ask you, man, musical theater, <laughs> yeah. what, what, what's your background with musical theater? Now, that's funny. You were preaching right then, Bo. I was about to say, man, Bo, just go ahead. Just give us, <laughs> open the text, do some exegesis on this. No, man, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I got, I got ahead nah, of myself. That was awesome, man. That's, <laughs> that's encouraging. We need, we always need that worry. We always need that reminder. But anyway, musical theater. What is my experience with musical theater? Very limited. Although I did act in high school. Did you really? And yeah, of course. I uh, did act in high school and I did some stage plays in college. Okay. Come on um, now. But, what'd you, what would you do? What was your parts with the plays? Come on. Okay, so these were original creations in high school, and then I had a very small part, and I think it's called Pirates of Penzance. Pirates of Penzance? You were in Pirates of Penzance. Yeah, man. Yeah. So I had a very small part in that, and then in in high school, we did all kinds of little original plays that were created by our speech department. So yeah, man. It was it was very small and it was very minimal. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. Hey, but look, that's probably more than most. I uh, I got to tell you, so I I grew up on musical theater. Like when I was a kid, and I and I, when I when I say that, I actually mean even soundtracks of musicals. Um, when I was a kid, when I was the age that my daughter is now, me and my brother used to like run around the house listening to uh, Fan of the Opera, like the original cast recording of Fan of the Opera. I love Phantom of the Opera. Oh, I love it so much. I, and, and, you know, at the, at the time I was young, I was like four years old, had no concept of where the music, you know, how it was being created or, or even even following the narrative at the time. Uh, but that was my background. So musicals and musical numbers uh, were always very influential when I was growing up. And then when I was in school, I did a ton of theater. Uh, I was in, I was always about musicals, actually competed in some one act competitions. Wow. Yeah. I won a um, all-star cast award for my role Dude. in the lottery. Uh, you kidding me? No, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was uh, that was that was a fun time in life. That was all in high school though, and then I went off to college, and I did one play in college, and then never did it again, uh, just because the college I was going to at the time really did not have that great of a theater department, and uh, you know, as much as I loved theater, I wasn't in school for theater, and so right. it kind of it kind of ended there. But I always had this love for acting, and uh, it, it's to some extent directly responsible for me my desire of getting into podcasting and, and that sort of thing. Right. Yeah. So that was for me, I had a communications major in college. So that was it kind of connected all to it. It was more in the broadcasting realm. But whenever I could dibble dabble in theater, that was great. But to be honest with you, after college, after the first college that I went to, where I kind of acted a little bit and then also did speech competitions, I really didn't get into theater. Mm. There wasn't really that avenue at the, the second college that I went to. 
And I just, it was so big that it was, you know, kind of being a, a small fish in a big pond. So I didn't really know how to get involved and it wasn't as connective there. So it was just a completely different environment. So it was very interesting for me to kind of re refined, um, I guess, musicals in Hamilton because I've seen Broadway shows from afar that I'm like, man, this may be good to go see, but and I know how difficult it is and I know how challenging and how much talent it takes and how much hard work you have to put into it. But mm -hmm. I haven't really been following musicals up until this <laughs> point. When I went to go see Les Mis in the theaters, oh, I was like, man, you know, I should really get back into these musicals. And I just forgot about it until Hamilton came back around. And we must say, we're late on Hamilton, right? Oh, crazy late. Crazy late to the game here. Yeah, it it, it was off-Broadway in 2015, uh, early 2015, started in Broadway on, on 2015. But even then, it was being workshopped out as early as 2013. So, I mean, like, yeah, we're, right. we're definitely late to the game. Dude, we're so late. Okay, so tell me a little bit about how you got into Hamilton and what are some of the things you really appreciate within the play. You haven't seen the play, correct? No, and see, that's the thing. I would imagine that most of the people listening, probably even a lot of a lot of super fans who may be listening, uh, probably haven't gotten a chance to see the play. Now, I'm at a stage right now where, you know, because, because we're a startup and my schedule is super flexible and I've got a brother in New York, I told him, I was like, look, if you get mm. Hamilton tickets... You let me know, and I will I will drop everything that I'm doing. And I will, <laughs> well I will pay for that ticket to go up to New York and see well it. So you know I've got to take advantage of that while I can. Uh, but no, I have I have yet to actually see it. Uh, I, I definitely look forward to it. But no, I, you know for me, man, I I kept on seeing Hamilton pop up because of. Uh, tributes that the cast would do. Um, I think of you know how uh, you know when when Prince passed, they they did kind of a a post show tribute to Prince. They did a, a post show tribute to Tribe Called Quest. They they've done a lot of post show tributes that would be on my Facebook feed, and I would kind of see those pop up from time to time. And I always saw Hamilton. I was kind of like kind of scratching my head a little bit, like what is this, you know? Like, but I never really quite was able to like like start listening to anything. But I guess it was about, um, it's pretty recent, probably about like a month and a half ago. I was uh, I was doing some work. It was another, I can't even remember what it was, but there was a, another tribute and I just decided I'd go ahead and play it just because I was curious. And then after, mm -hmm. after I did the tribute and I was kind of reading the description on what Hamilton was, I was like, well, that sounds kind of interesting. And I think I, I listened to, I found on YouTube uh, a track for the, one of the cabinet debates. And after I heard right, that, I was like, battle. Yeah. dude, I was like, Oh dang, this is what this is. And so then I started kind of like, you know, I listened to the next one and then I was trying to find more. And then I was like, as, as I started listening to more tracks, I realized, oh, I need to hear this in order because I feel like I'm spoiling the story for myself. And right. so I, I was, it just so happened that that day, um, we were about to take a trip down to new Orleans, which is a, about a three hour drive. And so the full front to back of Hamilton, uh, on the, the original cast recording is about two and a half hours. And so I was like, all right, this is it. I downloaded it. I listened to it the entire drive. I was in tears. I was in tears. Mm. I'm not ashamed to say that. I was crying in the car by how powerful it was, especially in that third act and uh, near the end with, and we'll get into it. But um, by the way, spoilers for Hamilton. Probably should mention that. Yeah, we can do spoilers. Yeah. Yeah, we can do spoilers. He dies. Spoiler. Yeah. I mean, um, like it's history, but, right? I mean, it, it's not, right. but, but you know, it's. If, if, so, yeah, it's like inspired by history. And so the base events are, are pretty concurrent with some exceptions. But 
you know, it's interesting. I've heard a lot about Hamilton and I've heard a lot of people recommend to listen to the soundtrack and to go see the play. And I'm like, I don't have money to go see the play. I don't have a, a brother in New York <laughs> that I can, I can drop everything and go see it. But I would like to see it. And I think that the interesting thing about the soundtrack is, especially for musicals, I really, I believe it's very important to see it in play form, to see everything that's going on and to truly appreciate the spectacle. And so I've, I've heard some reviews of people who have seen it and they say everything that you would experience within the soundtrack is taken to an entirely different level because it's mm. a, a multifaceted sensory experience. So you're mm. seeing people dance and you're seeing the emotion and you're seeing the body language and the intensity. And interestingly enough, when PBS aired it live, I didn't record it oh. like a dummy. I didn't record it. So they aired it live and they and they showed some parts of it. I think they showed the entire thing and then they showed kind of like a documentary yeah, yeah. about it behind the scenes, which was eye-opening. But I missed the live performance. So I was like, this was my one chance. Um, I wasted one shot. my shot. Puns, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. fun game. Uh, but anyway, so let's talk about what you enjoyed from Hamilton. And for those who don't know, I guess we should have said this at the beginning, but Hamilton is a, a hip hop, R&B infused and inspired recreation of the Alexander Hamilton story by people of color, mostly by people of color. And the star who plays Alexander Hamilton, or played him, I should say, in the first run of the show is Lin-Manuel Miranda. And so he's very popular within our culture. So I should say that at the beginning, we didn't even, we assume y'all know what Hamilton is. Right, right, right. A lot of people said they did. But but before we, you know, before we keep going further, just to give you that background, and you can look up the soundtrack and look up some of the other elements, but what do you enjoy about the musical? What touched you so powerfully? You know, for me, any storytelling uh, that's driven by the characters is able to pull me in. And I think what Hamilton was able to accomplish, even in just listening to the audio and just, just hearing the story that way, was to establish these very fleshed out, three-dimensional, complex characters that also tap into a lot of the classic archetypes of uh, that, that we see permeate throughout stories. You know, I, I often, when I'm telling people about it, I refer to it almost as the Star Wars of musicals because the way that the story is constructed is so perfect in terms of touching on those archetypes. And it takes it even a step further of making them such complex characters. You know, there, there's a, you know, a lot of people will kind of go to it and they'll talk about kind of the history that it's inspired by. And that's that's good. I mean, there's there's a lot to kind of pull pull from that. Um, there's also a lot to criticize about what wasn't pulled from history as well. But but ultimately, mm -hmm. the fact that Lin-Manuel was able to utilize the historic elements of this real life person and create a complex character and a story that fits and folds in and just gives this beautiful arc. And it just it spoke to me, man. I, I, I connected with Hamilton. I connected with Burr. Um, you know, a lot of the, the lot of, you know, his songs and, and a lot of what his struggles are, I get that in terms of, you know, he, he, he talks very specifically about dealing with you're part of a leg, like, um, what is it mm -hmm. in, uh, in the song that he has, wait for it. He talks about right. his frustration with Hamilton and about how Hamilton is able to succeed beyond what he is, even though he himself was, was provided with so much for him, but the legacy that he inherited is also what is he's personally allowing to hold himself back because he doesn't, you know, he has to constantly be aware of the fact that he has this legacy behind him. Whereas Hamilton, who has nothing to lose, is able to, to you know, go out and create a name for himself. 
And right. so, you know, that, that tension between the two, I, I resonated with that. In fact, I've listened to that, that song, Wait For It, several times, too, as kind of almost like a don't be a burr, <laughs> you know, like don't don't sit around and wait for it. <laughs> right. And, and uh, you know, and even just the tragedy, too, of his character in particular, also I found really fascinating because in that song he talks about, I want to, you know, I'm, I'm whatever it is, you know, I know I've got a purpose. I know I've got a place in this story and whatever it is, I'm waiting for it because, you know, I'm, I'm for, for all these reasons, I'm waiting for it. And I want, you know, I know that I have a place. And then when the that moment actually comes and he kills ha- Hamilton, spoilers, uh, when he when he kills Hamilton, he says that he's got that heart wrenching line. Now I'm the villain in your history. Yeah. When he, what he was waiting for hmm. was to be the villain. Like that was his destiny in the midst of the story. And just just the tragedy of that character really resonated with me. I mean, Hamilton as well, right. there's, there's that tragedy, there's that, that Scarface type of tragedy with Hamilton as well, where he builds up everything, he gets everything, but his, you know, his focus on self ends up being his downfall or his focus on his own success ends up being uh, what leads him to his downfall so much so that he, he, you know, burns in uh, every relationship around him uh, in, in, in that pursuit of self. So, you know, there's, there's a lot of, <laughs> I, I, it's weird, but like, the tragedy of the characters really got to me. And I, I think when wow. when you can do that, when you can tell characters, even your heroes, and paint them in a way that says, even beyond the heroic things that are going on, they're real and they're tragic and they are sinful people. Like, that's what makes them real. And that's what makes stories, like, mm-hmm. for me anyway, that's what opens me up. But what about you, man? What, what Dude, uh, that was, man, that's powerful, man. <laughs> you know, I think what's, what's also interesting is I wasn't prepared when I when I heard the opening number, the first time I heard the opening number was at the Grammys. When the Grammys, they they right. kind of spliced to kind of like a live recreation of the cast doing that opening number. And when he comes out and says, "I'm the bleep fool that shot him," you know, yeah, <laughs> right, 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 right. the fool that shot him, you know, I was like, man, wow, like you know, imagine that being the opening number, and then you're kind of watching the train wreck happen. You're watching the the tragedy unfold. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it was very clever, and I think was very encouraging to see that story arc to where they're not hiding it, they're not making right. it a secret, but they're actually pointing towards that fateful moment. It was also interesting to me because location plays such a big part within the play. Mm, mm-hmm. And the one time I've been to New York, you know, it's interesting. A lot of people say, are you from New York? Because of the way that I talk. Oh, is that right? East Coast, are you from, people say that a lot. They say, are you from Philly? Are you from New York? I'm like, no, I'm a Southern boy. I just talk like this. I it's because you got like that broadcasting background, man. I know, I know how that goes. A lot of people always ask me if I'm like a Yankee or something like that, because I right. don't sound Southern. I don't sound like I've lived in Mississippi the majority of my life. Exactly. So my voice and diction has morphed. But being a Southern boy, the only time I went to New York, I stayed in Weehawken, New Jersey, which is very, (laughs) dude, seriously, which is incredibly important to the play. Of Mm. course, it's a place where he lived and died. And so it's very interesting to hear these locations mentioned throughout. And it's a very geographical it has such geographical meaning that it's a and and Lynn talks about this a lot that it's a New York story, yeah, yeah and that yeah. it's it's a story about how we sometimes interpret the idea that the founding fathers were just somewhere in Philadelphia, and but this is man, this is New York, and New York the same way you felt about it then is the same way you feel about it now. Like we made it to New York, right, we made right. it here. It's and that was so powerful to me was the way they made the scope so big but intimate at the same time that they were able to connect these real life locations in this real life place. So where I remember Weehawken, I remember what it smelled like. I remember the sounds. 
And then I remember looking across that body of water to see New York, to see NYC before we went there and we passed by Broadway and Times Square. And so that was very personal for me on just an individual level. But then also the hearing him talk about the passion that motivated the story, the immigration story mm. of Alexander Hamilton and connecting it to his own father. Yes. And yes. that's powerful. So, so when we talk about, okay, it's a genius play, it's genius writing, that's one thing. But then when you hear the backstory of how he says in, yeah. in one interview, he says, I'm just playing my dad the whole time right, <laughs> down right. to the hair. Down to the hair. Yeah. It's amazing to hear that. And then you, you see him interview his dad and I'm like, wow, this is really their family story mm -hmm. in one way, shape or form or another. The connection, the the immigrant, the hard work, the discipline, all those things are kind of the same thing that's being represented within the play. So that's really powerful to me and explained a lot of the passion and explained a lot of why we enjoy listening and watching to Hamilton. So those are two things that really stand out to me. And then there's some others, of course, but, but I'll let you chime in. No, man. I mean, yeah, you're, you're exactly right. You know, I hadn't even thought about kind of what you said. I mean, you know, you're right. New York, of course, obviously a, a huge character in and of itself, but I'd never really even thought about like modern New York as being that, like continually being that focal point of, you know, those wanting to come into, you know, the United States, like that was, you have the Statue of Liberty right there, right? That's always kind of emphasized this kind of focal point of funneling into the United States Yes. Uh, for that, for the, you know, uh, land of opportunity. And yet here we are, like as American citizens spread out throughout the country and we all are going back to New York, right? Like we're all wanting to get to New York. We're all, no matter where you are in the world, almost like this focal point of, you know, what we define or what we kind of claim as success, you know, oh, so-and-so went off to New York. Oh, they made it. Right. Um, even though, you know, they're living in some like one bedroom apartment that, uh, <laughs> yeah, for like double our rent. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so, you know, it is, I, I never, I never really even thought about that before. That's a really interesting observation. Yeah. I, I got to talk about this, which is the undeniable elephant in the room, which is that this play has a deep connection to hip hop has a deep connection to the constant continuing struggle of people of color. And so if there was one more thing we would have to highlight, mm. it is the ways in which hip hop is infused to be so meaningful, to be the, the medium of communication in this play and how it is very particular little things that maybe people wouldn't catch that are connections to hip hop. You know, like these these little lines that they'll <laughs> that they'll throw in, which I can't think of them right off. I think it was All in right. Cabinet Battle One, where they'll throw in like little odes and homages to hip hop history in the way in which the characters. I think it was Jefferson says something, and I'm like, oh, that's from that's from this classic song, you know. But really? they switched up the words, and and so that was really yeah. They they did that in a couple of places, and so I was like, man, this is crazy, like how they kind of did this wink, wink, nudge, nudge to hip hop. And at the same time was incorporating that into history. And then also, of course, the legacy of seeing people of color in these roles, which some people have said is good. Some people have had some critiques for, which we can get into. But whenever I see joyful, rich, deep, layered representations of people of color in these popular stage plays, and I think it's interesting because I forget and I forgot this when I was listening to Hamilton the first time. We forget that because of the nature of this play and their singular focus on people of color, 
in these roles. There will be a legacy of people of color playing these roles. Exactly. Yeah. For decades and potentially centuries to come. I guess was, they will be playing yeah. these. That's unbelievable to yeah. me. That means uh, historically black colleges out there with the musical departments, they can do more than just the whiz now. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's that's exactly right. Like, I mean, like there there are others. opportunities. Yeah. 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 But the opportunities to play, to play complex characters instead of like the black character in this story, right. like that's right. adds so crucial and so needed no, absolutely. That's very true. Okay, so what are what are what is a climax for you in the you mentioned a little bit of, of Burr's story, but what's a climax for you? The uh, moment in Hamilton that made you think, I I love this play. <laughs> um there's a couple of them, right? The Ten Dual Commandments was kind of a like a it's not necessarily a moment, it was like a buildup of moments that was specifically communicated in the music. Because the music itself tells a story. So like when you get introduced mm-hmm. to the 10 dual commandments, the one, two, three, four, you know, when they, that counting and the beats that go behind it. And then later uh, in the second half, when his son comes up and does the rap, it's the same beats from the 10 dual commandments. Like that counting, even the, mm-hmm. un, deux, trois, deux, you know, like the, now he's counting in French. So they almost hide it back there. But if you're paying attention, you're like, no, this is, this is tied to murder. Like this, this, this beat yeah. that his child is learning the piano to, like, this is all pointing. It's the same thing, even from the, the, you know, not throwing away my shot, like, and what that permeates through all the way to his death. Like, like, as I started to kind of piece together that music, um, as I was also connecting with the characters, it was all kind of woven together in this really beautiful thing. So I don't know that I have like a, a specific moment that was just like that hook for me. Yeah. I don't know that I got one, but what about you, man? Yeah. I would say it's it's the cabinet battles. I think those yeah, were. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, so, so here's the thing with me. I'm still, I'm still in the immersion process of Hamilton because I'm so late. So I'm still in the immersion process of Hamilton. So listening through, I'll probably find other moments that really stand out to me. But I think the cabinet battles, there's there's so much influence and so much ri- richness and depth in its hip hop interpretation. So the ways in which they incorporate the punchlines. You know, which people were like, oh, yay, you know, people are cheering because Jefferson and Hamilton are, are rap battling. And and it's so authentic, though. Mm-hmm. It's very authentic the way in which he, they deliver the lines. That's right. Yeah. And the guy who plays Jefferson is something else. D- man. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, David, David Diggs, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. He's yeah. He's something else, man. He really is very, very engaging, very gifted. You so the me. way in which they deliver that is is so real and so precise that it really made me step back and say, wow, this is very enjoyable. Yeah. Like this is incredibly enjoyable to listen to. And even though I can't see it, I can imagine their expressions. The whole thing imagine, in your head. Yes. Yes. You can imagine their expressions. You can imagine their demeanor and having been a fan of, you know, watching rap battles and having seen that happen in person and participated in that, you see that the intensity and the energy that to me is when it went to a different level. Now, we got to, we're just, we're gushing about this. We got to get into some critiques. <laughs> wait, wait, I, I know. Let me just ask you this. Favorite line from, from one of the cabinet debates. Or would, would, do you have a favorite line in there? Well, I mean, yeah, but I don't want to, <laughs> my favorite line is when he says, you know, turn around, I'll show you where my foot is. <laughs> right, 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 right. No, that's good. That's good. <laughs> I mean, not just me, you know, but you know, I, because that is not because of what he was saying. Right, right. But it, but, it, but because of the authenticity of that, the setup and the scheme, that's rap. 
Yeah. That's hip hop. Yeah. That is exactly hip hop. And that's the brashness and the intensity and the arrogance that happens when you have those battles. And then we think about the competing ideals and what that means in the scope of history. That's very powerful. And it was a moment that where my ears perked up. Um, my shot was definitely a moment where my ears perked up as well because of the the multi-layered schemes and the things that are going on with, you know, mentioning the Black Battalion, all these things that are kind of being right. weaved in and out and the different cadences of the characters I thought was was brilliantly done. But Cabinet Battle 1 and 2 is where I sat up and said, oh, okay, I see you. That's that's cool. That's, that's really good. cool. Yeah, for me, like Cabinet Battle 2, when he said, you know, we signed a treaty with the king whose head is now in a basket. Would you like to take it out and ask it? Hey, should we honor our treaty, King Louis' head? Uh, do whatever you want. I'm super dead like that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Very, very clever. Yeah. Yeah. Miranda is, man, he deserves math. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. I know he's a cultural darling now, but (laughs) I can't overstate it. What he has done and how he's created and, and, and helped to write this and starred in it and delivered it with so much authenticity is a work of genius. Yeah. You know, I, I will, you know, it, it occurred to me as you're talking, I, I think yeah, I, I have to make mention of this moment because this is the moment that I just, it was the final moment. It wasn't like the first moment that it caught me, but it was a final moment that, that I, I said like verbally, this is a masterpiece. And it's, uh, it is after the three song arc of his son's death and yeah. his, uh, yeah. and his wife, um, uh, him, recording his wife who he has betrayed uh both privately and publicly and dealing with the fact that their 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 child is dead kind of in 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 very much tied to what hamilton told him right hamilton said go out there and do this 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 and he did it and then his son died and so the fact as they build that and they talk about him as he's walking around uptown and he's on his own and and he's talking to himself and then he's walking with his wife and he's talking to her, but she's non-responsive and then they're together. And then she, she has this moment of response and they stay, they have that line, right? Their forgiveness. Can you imagine? And I was like, that, Mm. that is a grace, an unimaginable grace. That's the gospel right there. And that, that, that right there, like that's, that's the part that always gets me every single time. And I just, yeah, that's powerful. I, I'd cry up every single time. Cause it's just, it is so powerful. And so that after, after that scene, and then they do the, the great like tension release of, can we get back to politics, please? You know, like that, <laughs> right. that's yeah. it right there is when I was like, this is a masterpiece. This is, they, they've done it. And I, like, I'm not, I hadn't even gotten to the, the tape, like the very end yet. I know this is a masterpiece. Uh, Absolutely. But, but yeah, we, we probably should say, <laughs> we probably should get into some of the, um, the obvious critiques, right? I mean, like, okay. uh, in terms of, you know, the, you know, after we got done, I'll, I'll make mention of this after we got done with our, our Luke Cage review, I, I thought about it. I said, you know, I was like, I'm, I, you know, I think I'm, I'm probably like 80 something percent woke, right? Like I'm, I'm down with the struggle, <laughs> I'm down with the struggle, but I don't want to be so woke that I have to nitpick Luke Cage to the point where I don't enjoy it anymore. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe that's, maybe I shouldn't say that, but that's kind of what I I ended up with that. I think, I think what people, we have a remarkable ability to compartmentalize in American society Mm -hmm. and we have to, to survive. Right. And so people of color have this duality where, and I think, you know, to be honest with you, I recognize the the difficulty of that feeling. And I've had a, a number of people, it's interesting you bring up Luke Cage. I've had a number of people tweet me or, Send me some private messages and say, ah, you're off on your Luke Cage review. 
And I recognize why they're saying that because they're like, this is something I want to like. This is something that represents us so well. This is something that we've never seen before. Can we just have it? And I recognize that. We have a remarkable ability to compartmentalize. I enjoyed Luke Cage, but I had some some critiques for it. Why? Because those critiques are the lingering evidence of the brokenness and fallenness of this world. Mm -hmm. And I think those critiques were, were centered not because I wanted to nitpick its quote unquote wokeness meter, to, to find the perfect degree, the perfect temperature of wokeness, which I think we can get into at another time. That might be a good but, podcast, yeah. Yeah, that would be very important for us to talk about what that even means and how it's used in, in different contexts. But what I want to do is is try to shed as much as possible, shed light on the ways in which we diminish and ignore the complexity and dignity of the African-American experience in particular and of all people on a broader level. So... Yeah, there there are some things that that may make us feel like, well, we can we just enjoy this? Can we just have this? And the reality is, yes, you can, but at the same time, us having this isn't really the point, right? Right, right. Like, no, our right. our yeah, cultural yeah, yeah. artifact isn't more important than the dignity of humanity. That's right. Like our, <laughs> it's not more important than the Omago day of my neighbor. So that's kind of the the tension that we sit in and exist in. And I think for me, if we're if we're transitioning to Hamilton, right, right, one right. of the difficult parts that I've heard from people and that I would say is difficult for me is that in the midst of representing people of color in these diverse roles, in these rich roles, in these complex roles, it is jarring to have Thomas Jefferson played by a black man. Right, right. It, it is jarring to have them played in these roles, have them play founding fathers is, and I think that was probably my hesitation with the play to begin with Mm. is the representation of it makes it feel like man we're not remember we're enjoying something we're not remembering what really happened that this set the stage for the systematic oppression of people and and again i know people like well it's just it's just a play and you know what they were trying to do is they were trying to subvert the stereotype and they were trying to subvert these pictures and they were trying to show representation and I recognize all that. And I still say it is something that is very difficult to adjust to. It is something that is very difficult to get used to that. My favorite character is Jefferson because of David Diggs. (laughs) And, and I don't want him to be my favorite character. Right. Cause when, and they did, I mean, even the, in the story itself, uh, you know, Jefferson is, you know, I, I wouldn't necessarily qualify this take on Jefferson as villain, but definitely adversary, right? Like he is definitely not the heroic character of the story. Right. But right. even still, he is like, you know, you even see them kind of being kind of on, on this kind of ally uh, level. But yeah, I, I would, uh, I, I, I'm glad that I touched on that Luke Cage too. So I, so you got a chance to kind of expand, expound on that uh, after the fact. But the reason that I made mention of that in particular because like with Luke Cage, I walked away from that like, uh, you know, like I I, I kind of disagree with Tyler, some some of his things. I walk away from this one being like, yeah, this is problematic. Like there's a lot of problematic. Right. There's, right. there's a problematic nature to any time that we go back uh, with kind of, uh, let's say, like something like the Patriot. Right. And we we essentially whitewash history or bro, white bro, polish. Don't get history me started. Don't don't get me started on the Patriot. Oh, so anyway, a whole other thing. But keep point. Going point being that like when we take (sighs) when we look at kind of the founding of the country or if we look at especially founding fathers 
in kind of this messianic way. And that's what happens, by the way. I mean, that's part of that's part of storytelling. There, it, the natural story is a there is a Messiah in the natural story, right? There, that's because you know the way that the actual story of of reality, the actual story of, of Christ it permeates through all stories. So there is always going to be a messianic nature to every single story that's told. And so when you're telling a story about the founding fathers, there is going to be a messianic nature to a lot of the different heroes that are portrayed in that story. And Hamilton, you know, the in in being a historically inspired musical, they they point out a lot of kind of historical facts, you know, the Tomcat a uh, little thing like that, the you know, look it up. He was wearing his glasses. The relationship between right. the two, the interesting nature of of you know their their relationship and how that kind of played out throughout their lives. It's a large part of it, but it's not historically accurate. Um, you know, Hamilton. They 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 kind of force in this narrative of Hamilton. You know, he he would have been opposed to slavery. Yeah, there's no basis for that at all. Um, Hamilton. And <laughs> the other thing too is you know in that opening line of uh, trading you know sugar cane, tobacco, and all the things he can't afford. You know what else was in that is in that trade circuit right there yep. the uh, yep. the trade cycle or whatever they called it the the trade triangle uh, was also enslaved Africans like that that you know that they're kind of polishing over that and kind of bumping right over that so basically in that song telling you yeah he was too poor to own people but they don't say it like that right and so you know there there's this way of like it feels uncomfortable of dealing with that. And actually, you know, you mentioned the documentary, which I think is so good that, that PBS documentary. Um, I want, I want to say it's called making yeah. Hamilton or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. The, the actor and I'm the actor that played Washington, which one, uh, the guy that played George Washington. Mm-hmm. I forgot his name. Yeah. Uh, but the, the actor that played uh, George Washington was, was specifically talking about, you know, the, uh, uh, Christopher Jackson, Christopher Jackson. Uh, he was talking. Okay. He was talking about um, playing George Washington and this character. And, and you know, in the story of Hamilton, George Washington is like this perfect father figure, right? Like, like he he uh, the relationship that he has with Hamilton. In fact, actually, one of the one of the moments that stuck, sticks out to me is that first scene between the two of them, where he says, "You know, now why are you upset?" And Hamilton said, "I'm not." And he's got this sound in his voice that is so human and so like. Uh, so so sensitive and so like 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 this this young man holding back from his father like you, you see this relationship that comes between the two of them and then obviously uh, Washington and in, in, in both the story and historically set up some extremely important precedents for the United States and, and for democracy I mean we have in George Washington both the character and the historic figure a brilliant man right but what's not said in the in the story but is said in history is that he did some horrible things? Like, yeah, you know, when he's they, in the story, he's like, "Young man, I'm from Virginia, so watch your mouth." Yeah, you know what is being actually said in that statement? He is also a slave owner. He also enslaves people. Yes, he is. And so, like, yes. that's that's an. And so, anyway, in the documentary, they talk about um, the actor. He goes to um, uh, Mount Vernon. He, he goes to the the uh, the plantation that Washington lived on, and you know, he's like, he he talks about like how beautiful it is and looking out and just. You know, thinking about about this character that he plays, and then going into the slave the slave quarters and looking around and being like, "Oh, but like, this is where I would be," <laughs> and that then that's that's wow. part of the reality of of history, right? And so and so that's 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 the tension that exists in this, and that that's one of the tensions. There's a, there's a lot of context here, but that that is one of the tensions that exists in this in the story is that, yeah, it's brilliantly told because it's fiction. It's fiction based on history, but the history is not as heroic and it's not as polished. And these right. figures that are set up as heroes 
you know, if, 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 if they still existed and did the things they did back then, they wouldn't be considered heroes today. Absolutely. Man, that's such a great point. Also, it's important to recognize, I'll say two more things. I recognize the point of the story that Alexander Hamilton is a self-made man. I cringe whenever I hear that. I cringe, I cringe, cringe, cringe whenever I hear Just that. The, and I the recognize. Phraseology? You mean the phraseology or as it relates to, to that? Yeah, the, the, fra- the phrase, man, you know, this whole idea. I've heard people, people mention, you know, this meritocracy idea that we can just kind of, you know, power up and, you know, this is the immigrant story. And this is, it's like, yeah, that's true. But, you know, that, that lends us to so many unfair assumptions about um, particularly people of color, particularly um, our immigrant brothers and sisters who have come over here in in various means, escaping various uh, tragedies and hardships. And we have this expectation of them that that they should be like something else, (laughs) that they should be like this character. You can be this. And we demonize them and we vilify them and we, you know, we dehumanize them. And it's very difficult for me to to hear that and to hear those representations. And and he is a fascinating figure, figure, fascinating character. But it is it's almost dangerous sometimes when I hear this whole self-made, like we we go back in history, like you were saying, and we we make these people demigods mm-hmm. and they're not, you know, they lived in a particular time and thank God I'm, I'm in 2016 right. is all I can say, right. because it, the same would not have been, you know, the same luxury would not have been given to me. And then he, he also talks about this, Lynn, Lynn talks about this in one of his interviews, how you know, there was there's this distinction between, you know, being so light skinned that you come from a particular country in his own life where you were so light skinned that you could pass off as not being a person of color or you could pass off as not being black, not being, you know, someone who isn't white because you're so light skinned, you know, and it's just the colorism and those things. It's something he's aware of, but it's also something that's very difficult. And then finally, I think we talked about it earlier. I'm never going to see this play live more than likely. Um, we make this empowering symbolism of people of color and there are only a select few in a certain class that can view it. (laughs) And again, that's the nature of the beast and that's, you know, the free market. And we recognize that. And I'm not mad at that per se. I think it's just, it's just very interesting symbolism to say, look at this story and look at all these people who are being impacted. And then the people who they can really inspire are distant from actually seeing the physical performance Man. because of class, because of economics, because of what they're talking about in the play. It's just, I don't know. Those, those things, I'll, I'll be honest with you, they made it difficult for me to get into Hamilton in the first place. Right. Yeah. Once you see the writing and the background and the skill and the genius, it that is always the thing that I will focus on, how skillful it is and how... They play with different ideas and how they they give homages to hip hop. But, man, you can't get away from this. You can't get away from what's going yeah. on in this story. You can't yeah. get away from the fact that this is not what happened. I'll, and yeah. I do want to let me just say one thing about that. That last point you made, because it's interesting. I, I, I hadn't been thinking in that terms up until recently. My brother made the same comment to mm-hmm. me. Uh, not the one that lives in New York because it's the other one I was saying we should all go and he's like yeah it's really difficult to go like that's like that's not something that anybody can just do 
And um and and he was saying that specifically like how, you know, given the nature of how powerful it can be, anybody should be able to go see it and they can't. And that that's true and I think time will actually allow for that to happen. Um you know, it's not musicals can't be mass produced in the same way that other things can, right? Um, Absolutely. Yeah. 100%. Especially because, you know, the art form in and of itself is that you, you want a very much a controlled environment. You, you want to make that a sensory experience. And you even talked about the fact they want to make it, you know, people want them to make it into a movie. And, you know, Lynn Manuel, as you said, like, at some point that'll probably happen, but it'll maybe tw- 20 years from now. Because I, I mean, to, to recut it as a movie is like almost to change the entire art form. I guess to some extent, to his defense, in his defense and kind of the cast and everyone else, musicals don't just make it every day you know what i mean like like in terms of kind of the media media market um you know being being this huge of a success does not happen this is this is very much a rare thing and so is there because of that is there perhaps maybe an expectation uh on them to to widen their reach and and grow it more rapidly so that people can get a piece of it maybe um but at the same time there's not a direct path in which that that can just happen like you know it requires literally them to go out every single day and to put on a play it's not like you can just play a record over and over again and so you know i i, I get that criticism I, I really do and i do understand where it's coming from and i think that like i said time will, right. will will resolve that as the play becomes more publicly available especially for like schools to put it on and um and you know as as we start kind of seeing it pop up you know it's in chicago now i'm sure it'll come to memphis at some point and you know that more than likely that'll be where I see it because, you know, I'm right. I'm only going if I can get the free tickets. <laughs> but <laughs> no, I will I will say this that that last point isn't as much a criticism as it is an angst. Yeah, uh, yeah, and I, so yeah. it's it's the nature of the medium, and so we recognize that plays are not like you know albums are not like Netflix shows. They're they're just different, and so that's a different audience, a different medium, and it's a different process to get it mass produced to the the, the populace, but it makes it it's just an angst it's just that compartmentalization of saying wow this is cool and at the same time i wish more people could be exposed to this and i wish it wouldn't be a situation where we would have to wait decades to see a a live interpretation of this or to see it because we don't may not have the money to go see it or we may not have the 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 ability to travel to go see it or or any of those things and it could inspire a generation and and it already is But, yeah, yeah. you know, it's kind of more of an angst than anything else. Well, and I would I would encourage if you're listening to this and you've never actually listened to the album, um, it's like, honestly, and I don't know if it's because I have somewhat of a background in theater that I'm able to paint the pictures in my mind. But I think I, 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 I would actually say that it's they do such a good job. Anybody can listen to it. And the story is told and like the pictures are there. And obviously it's going to be a whole nother level once you, you know, are are actually able to see it at some point. But I, I do think it's worth listening to instead absolutely. of just waiting until, like you said, yeah. probably decades down the road. Because, I mean, it absolutely it tells the story. Yeah. Now, I don't think it does it justice. I don't think the soundtrack does it justice, but I think it is. It shows its brilliance. And I think all the things that you're saying, Bo, about the, the, the tones of forgiveness and the tones of family and legacy and dreaming, all those things and wonder, all those things are brilliantly articulated within the soundtrack itself but it is it is not the play but at the same time it's the next best thing that's right so do we want to get into um the elephant in the room which is uh <sighs> our vice president-elect mike pence see we so got let, let me let okay, me say this i know i know it's been so long <laughs> on this podcast but what do you what do you think do you want to get into this look let me i'll just i'll just want to say this before that happened 
I posted, we got a Facebook message group between the three of us, and I posted like, we should do Hamilton. And part of the mindset was like, for one thing, there was, you know, we knew that, I, I knew the mixtape was coming out. I knew there was kind of a, 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 it was a good timing for us to be so late to the conversation. Like this, it, it is going to be relevant for that reason. And also it'll give us a chance to talk about anything other than the election and the fallout from the election just as, as a breather. <laughs> and then that happened, man. <laughs> like I was like, come on. That's a lot. No, that's funny. Like, that's pens. funny. No, that's very true. It's unfortunate, <laughs> but it is. The intersection, we cannot get away from politics. It's one of these things where that was all political theater. You know, what what comes down from it is, you know, Mike Pence, he wasn't offended by it. He shouldn't have been offended by it. Like they, they actually gave a pretty, they used the platform that they had to communicate to a very influential figure who a lot of people fear right now, uh, or fear at least his, his administration, maybe not him personally. Um, but uh, fear the administration that he's part of and fear the movement that he was part of. And so they use that platform to graciously and respectfully say, hey, we're here and we what we don't want to be forgotten. And we want, you know, we want to we want to know that we've got a future in your future. Um, and, and by the way, you know, and, and painting, you know, especially given the, the play itself and kind of what it communicates and what it strives to be. So they they were definitely justified in what they did. And like I said, at the end of the day, Mike Pence wasn't offended by it. Trump just needed to distract everybody from the fact that he was settling his lawsuits. And so it's kind of like, <laughs> literally that was what it was. Like that's, it's just it's theater, man. It's political theater. And so I, I, I would say if we, if we do mention it at all, it's worth mentioning the fact that, you know, you look at this cast who use their platform in that way. And I think that should be an encouragement to, to those of us or, or, or maybe a challenge to those of us that have access to platforms, whatever they may be to not throw away your shot. To make sure that you are using those platforms towards uh, towards racial yeah. reconciliation, towards looking out for your brother, towards you know having these difficult conversations and addressing the tension that exists in this country and in our churches, and so you know that's something that especially just recently I've been I've been wrestling with of, of trying to figure out okay, you know what what is my you know, right now for me personally anyway past the mic, my my voice is better heard when I when I'm not speaking. Like my, my role in past the mic, my role at ran like that. I make you guys sound good, so to speak. <laughs> and <laughs> hey, so, you, you know, that cutting and splicing, man, you'd be helping us out. That's, that's my role is, is to, to do that. So, you know, but I, I can't rest on working in the background as like a comfortable place to be silent. And so trying to figure out, okay, where in my platform, where do I speak out and how do I speak out and how do I do that in a gospel driven way that that's the takeaway from that and from my book but, but what about you man any any thoughts on that that whole no nah, that's 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 the last thing we should say yeah Fair so that was good yeah very encouraging to hear that and you know if people want to know our thoughts in in full on that i'll say this it's not that serious keep it moving there are more important conversations to have at this moment and i think bo just summed it up he summed up exactly what i would have said which is use your platform wisely so Bo, thank you for bringing this up, man. This was fun to talk about Hamilton and all its impact and and how it's reaching the people. And uh, we hope you guys listen to it. Give us some more feedback on on what you feel about hey, this. Speaking of the feedback, I gotta at least read. Let me let me pull up one or two of these. We've done this before when we take kind of uh, pop culture things and discuss oh, yeah. more past from the past. Mike. Mike Private Group, of course. That's right. Um, and I, I gotta tell you, as I'm pulling this up, I, I we should come up with a name for this because basically it's Bo and Tyler talk about something that. Yeah, from from popular culture, while Jamar's not here to, to hold us to a higher standard. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> we need we need a way. Exactly. We need we need some sort of name for the uh, for this. We do. This needs to become a segment. 
and eventually, you know, when when you get the time, it'll become a its own separate podcast. So, oh man, I would love that. <laughs> I would love that, man. Wouldn't that be awesome? Yes, it's more when well. When we both get the time, because I know you don't, you don't have a ton of time either. All right, here we go. On the, on the uh, Facebook group, I posted it out that we were talking about this. I got a lot of uh, feedback. All right. So the first one we have, uh, Molly J. She said, my love for this musical is so deep that I don't know if I can corral it all into one succinct comment. (laughs) Thank you so much, Molly. I know Bo kind of feels the same way, right? That just pretty much sums it up. Then also we have Jamie H. She said, Hamilton has changed my life. I love American history, but Hamilton was the first time that I've been able to see myself in our nation's story beyond being in chains or otherwise marginalized, beyond being in chains, that is, or otherwise marginalized. That's very encouraging. Thank you guys so much. Um, also want to shout out Laura S. and Caitlin R. and Andrea uh, M. and William S. Um, and Morgan F. for reaching out to us and just giving us um, just some great feedback in the past in my private group. And you can read their comments in full if you join the group. So if you go to facebook.com and you type in pass the mic, which is a private group request to get in, we'll let you in. And then you can interact with more people about Hamilton and this episode where Bo has given us some great insights. So you guys need to go do that. Also follow us on Twitter at underscore pass the mic, then at Rand Network as well. You can follow the website randnetwork.org for some great incisive commentary on theology, race, culture, the gospel, and of course, pop culture as well. So thank you guys so much for joining us. Bo, thank you, man. This was awesome. Hey, man, I really appreciate you having me on. This is uh, this is a blast. We'll see you soon on the next Pass, pass the, the Mic. mic. been listening to Pass the Mic, a Pottery production. To find out more about this and other shows, visit pottery.com. That's p o d a s t e r y.com. This episode was brought to you in part by The Compelled Podcast, which uses gripping, immersive storytelling to bring Christian testimonies to life. Listen to missionaries, addicts, martyrs, and more who have seen Jesus at work in unbelievable ways. Listen on your podcast app or compelledpodcast.com.